World-renowned chef Alex Guarnaschelli has run the gamut of culinary endeavors. The daughter of noted cookbook editor Maria Guarnaschelli, Alex grew up around the sights and sounds of food. She went on to study at the esteemed Lavaran Culinary School in Burgundy, before launching into a professional career at the Michelin three-star restaurant Guy Savoy in Paris. She has since won Iron Chef America, judged 34 no-holds-barred seasons of Food Network's Chopped, written two cookbooks, and currently serves as the executive chef at Butter in New York City. The psychology of the weather and what we feel like is not the same as what's in the market a lot. As soon as it gets sunny in April, everybody wants tomatoes and basil. The best tomatoes are in September. The restaurant really tries to follow what's actually in season. So we fight this urge, you know, to put asparagus on at this point and fava beans at this moment. And we try to actually buy what's local and serve that. A restaurant is always farm to table. In a live conversation with Ivy, Alex brought her impressive credentials and characteristic wit to the stage, offering candid insights into the high-stakes world of restaurants and fine dining, as well as her own personal wins and losses along the way. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor-distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smartwater or Smartwater Sparkling today and at your local retailer. I am so honored and so uh, happy to be here because I'm going to be introducing Chef Alex Warnashelli. Um, and I'm going to share her amazing accomplishments. Uh, Chef Alex spent much of her youth surrounded by food and cookbooks, immersed in whatever new recipes her mother was testing. And we'll talk about that in a second. After training at La Varenne Culinary School in Burgundy, France, Alex moved to Paris and worked at Guy Savoy for four years before returning to New York to cook at Daniel's. Since 2003, she has been the executive chef at Butter Restaurant. Alex appears on numerous Food Network shows, we know that, including as Judges Chopped, I know that, and Beat Bobby Flay, and as an Iron Chef on Iron Chef America. She lives in New York with her daughter, which is also wonderful. So please welcome Arnold, uh, Alex Gornishelli. So thank you for being here. I've been stalking, just two seconds, I've been stalking you for 20 years. When you open... <laughs> what an opening line. <laughs> Let's talk then. You, I think you like it. When uh, you opened Butter, um, I lived two blocks from Butter, and I was a regular. First time I you know, tasted your food, I fell in love with you. Girl crush. <laughs> Not like that, but... <laughs> And I tasted your food. You were one of the first chefs, women chefs, to go to the green market. Um, I remember your green dandelions. I think, you know, it was amazing. It was like great food. And um, in my mid-30s, I decided to become a chef. I used to be in advertising because of you. (laughs) So I then went to culinary school. Dissolved 14 years later on Chopped, <laughs> I you know, became a Chopped champion, and then I decided, oh shit, I can do this again. <laughs> and I went back for Chopped champions, and you were the judge. And I really wanted to impress you, and I screwed up. <laughs> but you were right, and you Chopped me, and now I'm here to redeem myself. <laughs> so let's start. <laughs> So, um, I heard you speak before. First of all, I want to we want to speak about your book because I think it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it is, and I cooked my way through it, so we'll talk about that. Um, and I heard you speak before about your family and the way you grew up, and um, you grew up immersed in cookbooks, and your mom was an editor, and in Napoleon's history, correct? You're, you're, I, I, I heard you speak about that, and I just want to know, if, you know, that background influenced your career choices and how. 
So my mother is a cookbook editor, um, and my father is actually a military historian specializing in Napoleonic warfare. Um, so, you know, there was a bust of Napoleon on the dining room table. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was making Julia Child's recipes. So there was this uh, idea that France was maybe kind of important. <laughs> um, there was also a large poster of Napoleon in the living room. <laughs> it was a theme. <laughs> My dad would walk around, you know, with his hand in the <laughs> Yeah, it was hardcore. So um, I'm Italian-American, but there's all this French stuff around the house. Um, when I was in eighth grade, we had to pick a language, and my father said, you can pick whatever language you want, it just has to be French. <laughs> so I started taking French, which was, you know, not very useful, because I wasn't, I didn't really do my homework um, very much. Um, acute arrogance with low self-esteem does not a good student make. Um, so, uh, I was a spectator to a lot of cooking. I would love to tell you that I was on a stool with my grandmother rolling gnocchi and there was a fire roaring in the hearth. I did I, that. <laughs> a lot of people have that uh, grandmother or grandfather or uncle kind of moment, but I was a spectator to cooking and I think that's a really important part of this field is watching other people do it, um, the craft. I actually think probably that's true of anything. Um, I think food cooking falls under performance art in a way. At least with television and all these shows, it certainly does more than ever. When I started cooking, there was no TV like that other than, you know, PBS stuff, Julia Child, Galloping Gourmet, um, and there was Bobby Flay. Um, on Food Network, like all day. I was like, what is this? It's always like, what's up? Burgers. And I was like, well, that guy. And why was I wrong about that? But um, so, you know, yeah, I, I, I graduated from Barnard College with a BA in art history. I woke up on the morning of my graduation. And I said, by the end of today, I'm going to pick my career, and that's it. Um, then I drank a beer. <laughs> this is not an exaggeration to be cute. Um, I woke up. I made this statement to myself. Um, I thought all day, like, what do I actually like doing? And the answer for the most of the day was nothing. <laughs> I mean, you're 18. Like, what do you want to do? But like drink beer and sleep. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so I thought, you know, like, what, what do I like to do? And my dad always says, like, do what you love because you're going to do it a lot. And I was like, damn, no, I like sleeping. <laughs> I, I could get like a sleep apnea study group going. <laughs> so I thought apathetically about pretty much nothing. And then... Maybe at like four o'clock that afternoon, I just thought, well, I kind of like to cook. I like making muffins and stuff. <laughs> so I, yeah, this is not a very romantic, this is not such a great story, is it? Like you expect me to say I had like a wooden spoon in my hand since I was like two. Um, but I was an accidental chef at best, but I just thought, well, I'm pretty disagreeable. I'm a Gemini. I don't want to get up and sit at a desk every day. I'm not sure about my ability to be collaborative in a group environment. This is all true. And then I was right. And um, I don't want to go somewhere every day and worry about being late. I don't want to worry about not being myself in some true form. These were all the things I knew that I didn't want to do. And I think choosing what you do based on what you know you don't want to do every day is really pretty good to do. People are always like, follow your love, follow your passion. <laughs> I'm sorry, the two words I hate the most in the English language are journey, <laughs> the band is okay, and passion. 
And the reason is because the theoretical idea that we become passionate about something and we go on a big journey and then we are, are fully realized with me doesn't work for me. Because um, I think that actually truly, you don't actually achieve passion until you're actually really good at something. And then you find actual passion. I don't mean to sound so hokey, but I just hate when words get thrown around like that. Because um, they're big words and life is really short. I'm, I'm watching my parents become elderly humans and I'm realizing how short planet time is. <laughs> so I wanna get it right. Um, and I don't know about a journey. I think like, I thought my journey would kind of be like this and it's been kind of, <laughs> sorry, see? <laughs> so I just kind of like wanna say, it really influenced me because I found something I really like to do because I watched my parents do it and I ate like a rabid animal. <laughs> <laughs> and my mother edited these cookbooks. So she did a book about, um, the video is really freaking me out, I'm sorry. When someone holds it too long, I stare at it. Sorry. Um, it's not a Lady Gaga thing, it's an ADD thing. Um, so my mother did uh, the, the, uh, the cake bible. And, she, that, cake, and she cooked her way through the book to edit it, so I was eating cake every night. <laughs> so that was like no dates whatsoever and a lot of elastic pants. <laughs> pants that look like jeans that are actually made out of nylon. They <laughs> have words like comfy on the label on the back. <laughs> Roomy with like a couple of extra R's. <laughs> Roomy! <laughs> Jazz hands. <laughs> and then we did a, a she did a, a book about northern Italian food. So I don't, de don't destroy it, because <laughs> it's a beautiful book, I know it. Yeah, it's, uh, well, my mother's edited a lot. It's amazing. Of, yeah, a lot of cookbooks that are, I, my mom's the Quincy Jones. She's the, the, you know, the Quincy Jones of cookbooks, she really is. And, you know, she'd say, you know, this big chef came to my office today and I just told him to take a hike, and I'm like, you what? Because <laughs> I was trying to work in restaurants. I was like, who will not hire me? Whose book have you rejected? I would go to a party and people would be like, I know your mother, she declined every one of my cookbooks. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> so every year was a different cookbook. There was an Indian cookbook year, classic Indian cooking. The book was published in 1980. It's a 500-page book with line drawings, no color pictures, nothing, and it's still in print. That's my idea of a great book. You know, someone's buying it still. I kind of go to a bookstore just to see if it's there, like in disbelief. <laughs> um, so that was really very confusing also because people say make food. So my father cooks Chinese food for a hobby. <laughs> so, you know, like people like make something that's, you know, your childhood dish. And I'm like, well, like somewhere between a stir fry and a samosa and a cake. <laughs> and they're like, are you Italian? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I just sound like a mess. Oh, the Home Cook Recipes to Know by Heart. That's yeah. your beautiful book. Um, and it's a cook for home cooks from a chef. And uh, can you tell a little bit, how did you get, to, what, what, how did you choose the recipes to go in your book? Being a, a, a chef, and then you know, giving recipes to people that are home cooks, because that's to me is the hardest thing as a chef, because I'm sure you have all these ideas in your head and you have to. Uh. Well, I have a 10-year-old child who's very discerning, um, who I really don't want her, I don't want her to be a chef, so you know what's happening, right? You know how this Shakespeare play ends. <laughs> So I've done nothing to encourage her simply because, yeah, yeah, is that okay? Are we speaking honestly tonight? Yeah. We are, right? Yeah, because that's all I've got. Uh, I've done nothing to encourage her simply be, for two reasons. One, I'm horrified that she would become a chef and live and work the way I have. I want her to spend more time outside, interacting with the world. 
But uh, also because if she's going to be a chef, then she's got to completely find it on her own. And I can't be responsible for making the choice about what she does with her life. I don't think that's... I had a liberal arts education. I want her to have the same journey <laughs> to her passion. <laughs> so um, I cook a lot at home, which I never did. Um, in all the years that I was really line cooking every day, I would go home and I wouldn't cook a thing. People are like, what do you make when you go home? What do you think a chef makes when they go home? Are you serious? <laughs> like I open a can of corn and I'm like, this is so good. <laughs> I eat it out of the can and drink the liquid. <laughs> you know that liquid in the can of corn, you all had it. And you know it's good. Don't lie. You know those little Lasur peas in the can? How good are they? You know those little ones, a silver can? You know it. Everybody's going, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you just want anything you don't do, right? I wasn't cooking canned food where I work. I was tweezing caviar on a piece of, you know, Wolverine. <laughs> to serve to the Queen of England. I would go home, I'd be like, I just want a Dorito. Does that make sense? I know actors go home and they want to act or they watch movies or singers go home and they la 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 la. When I would go home from a 16 hour day of cooking, stinking of fish, I just wanted like a potato chip. My favorite thing was a bowl of really junky cereal with a big scoop of ice cream in the middle and ice cold milk around it. You eat that? Mm-hmm. That is good. And I was not, I was sober, guys, so don't be like, oh, okay. <laughs> sober. Yeah. That was my diet for a long time. A double espresso and a bowl of cereal with a scoop of Haagen-Dazs. 15 hours apart. <laughs> yeah, those roomy pants went to the back of the closet. I knew I would need them, so I kept them, but I didn't wear them in those years. What was the question? <laughs> Wait. So sorry. So I'm in therapy. This is with therapy. This is my answer. So we can, we just, <laughs> I'm sorry. Why did I choose simple recipes for the home cook? Because I'm, I cook a lot at home now, and I'm realizing that you don't want a sink full of dishes and cook for three hours, but you want to know what a chef would do, or you want those little tips and techniques that come from all the years that I've spent cooking. So I like the idea of applying all my years of work in kitchens to recipes that everyone can make. It's like a, a universal language of cooking. And that's what this book really is. So like you could go home and make stuff and I also think if you watch someone be a judge on TV, as I am so often, and I cook so much competitively on TV, you would, I would be interested to understand the human side of someone like that in the words of a book. So that's what this book is for, to answer the question. That's a great <laughs> So you don't want to talk about passions and journey, but where do you find your inspiration? Oh, God. <laughs> it's the third least favorite word. I knew you were going to say that, but I have to ask. Yeah, um, inspiration. Um, I like the supermarket a lot. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, you guys go to the supermarket, man. How cool is the supermarket? You're like, I'm not studying. I'm gonna go to the supermarket. You distract yourself. And there's so much stuff. But you have to go where nobody knows you, right? Because otherwise people start dragging to your cart. People right? look in my cart. <laughs> I know they do. So I put broccoli over everything. <laughs> and I walk down the aisle like... You have frozen pizza? It sucks. Yeah. Oh, I don't, I mean, oh, I um, I like the green market a lot, I go to the market a lot. I like understanding what's actually in season where I am. It's not necessarily, the psychology of the weather and what we feel like is not the same as what's in the market a lot. As soon as it gets sunny in April, everybody wants tomatoes and basil. The best tomatoes are in September. So I kind of like, the restaurant more follows, I have one restaurant, Butter, the restaurant really tries to follow what's actually in season. So we fight this urge, you know, to put asparagus on at this point and fava beans at this moment. And we try to actually buy what's local and serve that um, and not go on and on about it too much, you know? The bales of hay and the hemp dresses and the farm to table stuff. <laughs> I mean, a restaurant is always farm to table, right? 
I mean, even the cafeteria. <laughs> now, is that funny? <laughs> it's that bad, huh? The cafeteria? Yeah. In public, yeah. My daughter went to public school for many years. Um, the cafeteria was an interesting place. Um, we're working on that. I'm, I want to, to work on hospitals next. Because it's up, my father's been in the hospital for quite a while. And to watch my father, who loves food so much, um, eat hospital food, I'm like, this is rough. You know? Um, what was the question again? Yeah, Your inspiration. Oh, inspiration. Yeah, the green market, the supermarket, people, what they're eating, eating out in restaurants, checking out what people are eating, reading a lot. Um, I watch cooking shows on TV. I watch, um, you know, I watch Food Network. I do. I don't watch myself. It's so awful. I'm like, oh, what are you wearing? What are you doing? Why didn't you smile at all? Why are you weepy? Why are you looking down? Look at your hair. So I come home from shooting an episode of Chopped, and my daughter's watching an episode of Chopped. And she's like, let's watch Chopped. And I'm like, okay. I never want to see Ted Allen again. I'm so sick of him. And I'm great guy. But it's like, hey, Ted. He's kind of cute. <laughs> he's very he's awesome. Ted is awesome. The whole the show's the, the show's amazing. You guys have seen the show, right? Yeah. It's been on a it's been on almost ten years. We go in and we're like, are we still here? <laughs> we're gonna need walkers eventually. Like, I'm like, why are the lights so bright and why do you call me in earlier? And they're like, you need more makeup. <laughs> and I'm like, did you just kind of say that I'm old? And they're like, no, you just you know. Brighter lights, more makeup, it's a good idea. I'm like, I go home now and I put like cucumbers on my eyes and I only eat one piece of cake instead of four. I'm trying. You know, it's really scary to be on the other side. <laughs> I have to tell you as a contestant. I've it, been it, a contestant many times. It, it is Nobody's terrifying. gotten shocked more than I have. <laughs> I thought I was gonna die. <laughs> so. But you didn't. I survived. It's part of your journey. Uh, <laughs> but you get cocky when I got a chop champion. I'm like, I'm going back. I want more. It's like cocaine. You want to do it. It's addictive. But I'm done. So. I have a number for a therapist. <laughs> she has a lot of openings. That's what my husband says. Now that I've cut down from seven to six days a week, <laughs> she has an opening. It's really addictive because you want the adrenaline of winning. It's, it's amazing. Yes, competition show yeah. cooking is, is addictive and it's a skill. You know, people are like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know what my job is anymore. <laughs> Who am I? Um, it is a very interesting thing. Um, I do homework, my daughter's homework, we do homework together a little bit. It's really hard for me not to just do her homework. Except math, she's 10 and I can't do her math homework anymore. She's like, mom, you're not really that smart, are you? I'm like, no. But tonight we were writing a paper with a topic sentence. And I'm like, give me an example of a topic sentence. She's like, you don't know what a topic sentence is? This is my 10 year old. You, have, you feel okay and then you have kids. And then you're like, I'm crap. My life is a farce. I'm living a lie. Um, but we're writing this paper and I'm like, what's the assignment? And she's like, I don't know, you gotta say with some stuff about this book. And I like take the paper out and read the assignment and do your homework with the assignment. And this is my big thing um, with anything now is, what are you actually being asked to do anywhere that you are? If you are in a classroom, if you are on a competition show set, if you are in a restaurant, if you are on stage, what are you being asked to do? And what are you asking yourself to do? Those are the two questions. And to stay the course with that idea, it, it actually requires a lot of, um, I hate to sound hokey, um, it requires a lot of heart and a lot of focus to stay committed to yourself. So when I would do these competition shows, I would pour my heart into it and I took all the skills and technique that I have from all these years of restaurant cooking, but I was missing something. I mean, I would lose a lot. 
Um, and then I thought, what do I? What am I, what am I making? You know, and when I'm done with the dish, why is anything there? Um, why is there a bell pepper? Why is there toilet paper and wasabi? You know, why? <laughs> Answer why first and then cook. And that was hard to do, you know? That's like really thinking about yourself, which we do a lot of. You think a lot about yourself. But like considering something as a product of yourself and looking down at it and saying, yeah, that's taken me a really long time. And in fact, I do that a lot on Chopped. People will put a sliver of something, you know, like a, someone put an oregano leaf on top of their dish the other day. Just one oregano leaf. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, what's up with the oregano leaf, mommy? <laughs> He's like, well, it just, you know. And I thought, no, I don't. <laughs> Do you? And he said, well, I thought it would be like a nice finish. Because the dish was kind of brown and I wanted some color. And I said, but there's no oregano in the dish, there's just one leaf. And I'm, he's like, yeah. So I eat the one leaf, it's delicious. But then I have 90 other bites of food and no oregano. So are we in or are we not in with the oregano? And you know, the producer's kind of looking at me like, oh, you're so weird. <laughs> so creepy, really, Alex. But bottom line, like, are we in with the oregano or not? What are we doing here? Why am I eating this? Who invented liquid soap? These are the things that happen. It's a domino effect. You have to answer the question. So the next day she comes and he's got a giant sprig of rosemary. You know, like a gondola on the... And you know what rosemary's like, right? That's like chewing on a Christmas tree. And he puts it in front of me, you know, and he's like... And I'm like, you just couldn't help yourself. I don't know if he won, I forget. I think he won anyway. But just why? This is my big question. Answer, I ask myself, why? And, and it's amazing how many times I still can't answer that question for myself. This is where you all feel sad and wonder if I'm going to make it on my journey. <laughs> so you're going to give me your therapist, but I'll give you a math uh, tutor for your daughter. <laughs> and me. I have a 10-year-old and an 11, so I know how it is. It sucks. <laughs> She's like, I can't wait till we get to calculus. <laughs> I'm like, oh. Oh, honey, tutor. Yeah. I'm gonna send her to college early. <laughs> 11, I'm gonna be like, she's ready. <laughs> so I'm gonna ask you about, more about your book because I'm actually in the process of writing a book and I never thought it would be so hard. I can cook, I can do this, but it, it, it's, it's unbelievable. So I wanna know your process. How do you edit yourself? How, how do you, what are your victories and your frustration when you, and your, that you encounter along the way when you wrote your book? How, how do you put it all together? I, I don't know. I, I, my mother's an editor of books, so I didn't write a book forever because I, I imagined her standing over me with a red pencil. I would have these anxiety dreams. Like I would type the, and she'd be standing over me like, really? Is that what you want to say? Um, you know, does, does Steven Spielberg's kids direct movies? You know, it's, it's that thing. Um, I don't know, um, collect a lot of recipes, collect double the amount of recipes you need, cook them, realize that some of them aren't good. It's very hard. That's, that's not frustrating, I really like cooking, still. I, I, have, I have friends that don't, that have cooked as long as I have and don't. I still really like cooking. Um, I have a lot of energy, so something about things boiling on a stove and heat and a deep fryer and a grill and all this energy, all this visceral living every day, I really like that. That helps me. I go home and I'm like, I can be calm now. So I go home and I watch car racing, which is very relaxing to me. I'm like, look at him go, look at that little million dollar piece of tin. I'm not in it. I'm at home eating cake. This is so good. It's relaxing to watch other people under such massive pressure. All that stuff they have, they put on, right? They uniform, they install themselves. It's such risk, you know? There's not a moment where you gun that car up and you say, why? 
you have plenty of time to leave and go to like Guadalupe and never come back. You know why you are in that car, which is why I like it. I kind of want to make sure I can answer that question for myself. So I think the same for a book, you know, why is the recipe in there? Does it impart something people might not know? Um, is it something people want to eat? That's a big one for me. I pick up a cookbook, I'm like, I don't want I have new ravioli <laughs> with a phone. So some books I buy to look at the pictures. You've done that. You've bought, you have cookbooks at home that you told yourself you're gonna cook from, you haven't. Um, people also confess to chefs a lot. I'll go to a party. My friend's a dermatologist. So we go to a party and she's like, she'll go to the party and people will be like, I have this thing here, you see it? And we're at a party, people are leaning in and showing, you know, like people are, people are moving clothing to show her stuff. She's like, that's a pimple, squeeze it gently. But people come up to me and say, how do you cook chicken? And then they say, by the way, I hate chicken, <laughs> but I want a new way to cook it. How does that work? I mean, I've dated people and felt that way. You know, like, I don't like you, you coming over? <laughs> you know it, someone's really laughing. If you're on a date, it's not going well. <laughs> Sorry. Um, what, was, what were we talking about? <laughs> About recipes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you book. Yeah, so make stuff. I make a lot of stuff. Cook it. Live it. So, so you know. Live the whole book. People try my recipe and they're like, well, I changed this. And then I, 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 you know, it was a chicken recipe, but I used rabbit. And then I didn't use the butter and, I, and it didn't work out. <laughs> and I was like, well, that's real. So I'm terrified that, you know. That what? People will not like the recipe. It's important to me. Is it important to you? People come up to me routinely and say, I made your chicken with potatoes recipe, but I used pork for the chicken and apples for the potatoes, and it was amazing. <laughs> and I'm like, awesome. Good talk. Nice knowing you. No, not at all. I think that a book is often a guideline or it is a source of inspiration, or it is a, you open something and you see something and you say, I can do this, I can follow this, and I will end up with this. So if it gives people courage to get in the kitchen and cook, I'm a really big fan of making your own food. The more food you can make for yourself, the better. Even if it's a sandwich, or a salad, or it's a hard-boiled egg, or a slice of toast, it doesn't matter. The more food you eat, cook and eat yourself, the better. Um, I like those Michael Pollan books. I like the way he writes. If some of you have an opportunity, I'm, I don't like to get too heady and cerebral about food, but I like a lot of what he says. And he wrote a book called The Rules, I think it is, Rules. You can read it in half an hour, which is my kind of book. Um, and one, and, and you know, you read a book, it's, it's almost like a, a book you'd read while you're on the toilet a little too long at a friend's house. <laughs> it was like in the bathroom, you could read like a third of it while you're in the bathroom. I don't know bathroom. what you do in your friend's house. <laughs> um, talking about being in the bathroom. <laughs> Generally a life function. So you read and it says, uh, if you're not hungry enough to eat an apple, you're not hungry. I read that and I was like, what? I've never been hungry. I had this life epiphany in my friend's bathroom. I was like, I've never once needed to eat. Um, so I go to the store and I look at the cake and the wheels of brie and I'm like, you don't want an apple. So I go over and I look at the apples and I'm like, and I go and I buy the brie and the cake and I go home and I put it in the fridge and I wait like an hour and then I eat it. I think that's really using Pollen's wisdom. Um, no, but seriously, I think, I don't know, this idea of hunger and cooking and eating. I find it really hard not to reward my daughter with food. You did good, here's a cake. I mean, that seems right to me. So now I'm, I say to her, I'm gonna reward you and you can have anything you want that's not food. Um, that doesn't go over well. It's true, it's hard. So, well, I never listened to my dad. Uh, 
I spent my life trying to avoid him. And uh, how's that going? <laughs> great. <laughs> it worked out really good. Okay. Um, so, did your mother help you edit your cookbook? Oh my God, no, no, my and mom. And you listen to her. <laughs> I I do. I listen to my parents a lot. I'm an only child. Um, there was nowhere to hide. It's like punishing sunlight. Um, um, I do listen to my mother. Yeah, my parents are really smart. I listen to them. My dad said, if you're going to choose being a chef, I want you to think about the fact that instead of eating Thanksgiving dinner with your family, you may be in a restaurant cooking it for total strangers. Um, and that was really smart, considering that that's totally true. <laughs> My friend's a pastry chef, and we were talking today. She said, let's go somewhere for New Year's and like do something on New Year's Eve. Right? I mean, it's literally like if we said, let's go rob a bank, because we literally, <laughs> neither one of us has had a New Year's Eve off where we weren't in a restaurant slinging food for all of you on dates. And you go in the dining room, this is tough too, you go in the dining room and you look out at all these people out, friends, family, people on dates, and you're like doing none of that. You're like boiling water, make, you know, cooking clams. And you're like, somewhere I zigged when I should have zagged. <laughs> or not. Yeah. I was kind of bummed when I changed my career and became a chef, and I realized that. It's hard. I graduated from college and my friends made fun of me. Made fun of me for choosing cooking. They were like, why don't you just become an electrician or a plumber? And I was like, I'd be a lot richer. I built copper pipe for the tri-state area. I would crush it. I'd be, I'd be phoning this in on a live feed from my yacht if I was a plumber. Um, but people, my friends made fun of me. Um, they all became three things, all of them. Lawyers, um, surgeons, and gynecologists. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna get you, one way or another. Um, I am divorced. When I um, got divorced, I had like 80 divorce lawyers immediately just from my class list in college. <laughs> so it's kind of interesting. But now at my reunion, um, I've become really chic. Decades later, now I'm chic. But it was a tough and interesting field to, to enter. And certainly, um, I worked in some kitchens where you know, there weren't a lot of women. Um, but worse than the gender issue was the fact that I really didn't know how to cook. That was really hard. People were like making stuff. And I was like, what do you, how do you do that? So learning the craft, a physical, manual craft um, is, is, is hard. Yeah, you've got to do it over and over and over again. And then you go back and you do it again. And then maybe after all that, you burn it anyway. It's not like you get amazingly good and you stay amazingly good. And it's not like every day is good. Some days I go home from the restaurant and I'm like, this day sucked. The food sucked today. I want to apologize to everybody who ate there. I want to die. <laughs> and you go back the next day and you're like, I don't want to die so much today. <laughs> and I don't mean to sound grim. I'm just trying to sort of paint an honest picture of trying to become an expert at something. Hard work and constant and constant. Yeah, but it's fun. I forgot. Super fun. You're like, I'm in the office and I'm like picking through Brussels sprouts. It's pretty good, right? You know? Yeah. Writing like, I can't email you, I'm too busy. You know, cleaning chanterelle mushrooms. That's good. Good living. Okay. So, one of my favorite, and I cooked it last night, recipe in your book is orecchiette with the lemon and the cream and bacon. Oh, yeah. Uh, I made it, my kids went crazy, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> A little jealous, but it was delicious. Which one is your, your favorite recipe in the book, or which one of your recipes would you pick? Well, I like the whole cookie chapter. Just make the whole chapter. <laughs> Pretend it's, you know, Hanukkah, Christmas, and Kwanzaa all in one day. <laughs> My mother used to make a, like 80 kinds of Christmas cookies in all these different tins and just stack them in the kitchen. And she was, you know, would say, I'm gonna give them away. And she never did, so we ate them all. <laughs> you know, have you ever done that? Made a cheese platter for friends and you don't have any friends invited over? <laughs> I do stuff like that. 
do have friends. I'm okay. I'm really not that as nutty as I sound. I swear, I have some friends and stuff like that. I mean, my daughter's cool. Um, but I do get, you know, you ever start, like you go to the supermarket to buy a quart of milk and you leave with like 10 pounds of squash and you get all these ideas. Then you go home and you're like, why do I have like eight heads of endive in my crisper. It's like we want to compulsively fill this crisper and watch the stuff go bad. I have, you know, so I try to edit myself, but the supermarket is a dicey place at best. There's so much stuff, you know? I can remember going to the store as a kid that was like two kinds of salt, two, two kinds of flour. I tried to find like unflavored oatmeal and I had like a meltdown. I almost had to leave the store. I was like, I don't want maple, oak, peanut butter, pecan, banana, quinoa, smoothie, chia. I just want unflavored oatmeal. And I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna cut up a banana and I'm gonna put it on top. Or an apple, I'm sorry. Um, it's hard to like get the normal product. I'm finding that a garbage bag took like 20 minutes. I was like, how many gallons is my thing? How many 13, 39 gallons? I go home, I end up with a bag that could fill my apartment. <laughs> then I go back and the next time I get one that's like this big, <laughs> right? You put like one Q-tip in there, you're like, all right. Put it in the bigger bag. Yeah, I'm lost. <laughs> I now live, unfortunately, in Connecticut. <laughs> I had to move out of New York because I have these two kids. And I hide in, in this supermarket, the biggest Indian supermarket, because it's so cool in there. That's where I hide. So just want to share that. Yeah, it's <laughs> the new movie theater. <laughs> so I think people connect to food in different ways, smell, emotions, touch. And I once walked into, once upon a, a tart, remember, and Solomon, and I started crying because it smells so good. It reminded me of my mother's kitchen. Um, how do you connect to food? What gets you going? What, what? Everything. Um, definitely, I think, smell. Yeah. Um, I live near Sullivan Street Bakery, if you guys don't know it. And that place is like a methadone clinic. <laughs> I don't even know what to do. And I go there and every day I'm like, I'm gonna be okay today. There's a theme here. <laughs> um, but they're um, baking a lot of stuff. When there's an oven and I can see the oven, that's a big problem for me. The stuff is going in there and I'm like, when that comes out, I'm eating it all. <laughs> um, so I guess, yeah, I, um, watching cooking. There's a lot of restaurants where you can see the kitchen or whatever else. I would never have that type of restaurant. Because you'd have to really, I don't know, you'd have to really have it together, in my <laughs> humble opinion. Uh, and my restaurant's kind of like a pirate ship. You know, it's like the island of the broken toys. We're all together, we're family. Um, but seeing, um, certainly seeing food, um, yeah, pretty much anything. So. Where do you want, when somebody comes to butter, where, where do you want them to go? What's the journey? <laughs> what, uh, what do you want them to take out of your, from your food? What, what's the experience? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I don't know, I, I would like to think that we're really focused on ingredients at their optimum moment, um, but not so precious that you can't relate or that you don't have a moment. Um, where something you eat reminds you of another great experience you had or something you cooked. I like those rat, I loved Ratatouille. I really related to that movie massively. <laughs> I know. But mostly the, the Ratatouille moment, I mean, when, he, when Anton Ego comes in and says, I want some fresh perspective. I, I, I know that, I mean, you've all had that feeling at one point or another in your life, right? And then when he takes a bite and he flashes right to just sitting there when things were so simple and he was a kid and it tasted so good. Um, I love that. I'd like like one person a year to leave with a ratatouille moment. That's my goal. That's how I felt when I ate at butter. Um, you once said, I heard you, <laughs> I know, <laughs> I don't need a well-stocked kitchen. Whatever equipment you gravitate toward is what you should have. Is it still true? Yeah, 
I, but it's super fun to buy a lot of stuff. But I would just buy a really great Vitamix blender. Unsponsored comment. <laughs> buy a really great Vitamix blender and like two knives you really like and a cutting board and get to it. Spend the money on the food. Yeah, drop the cash on the food, definitely. Buy the best food you can afford. The food I ate when I was in college, oh my God. I, had the I can't even believe what I ate. So appalling. I'm not telling you. I'm so ashamed. Um, but it was fun. Um, but now, yeah, I go to the store and I'm like, let's do this, you know? Last question. What do you see in the kitchen of the future? What? Yeah. You know, in the future, the food of the future, the kitchen of the future, what is it? Probably exactly what it is now. Um, to some extent, I, I, I really think everything always sort of stays the same in, in, in a good sense. Because um, I think classic cooking, classic dishes are classic for a reason. I mean, you eat a really well-made classical dish and you're like, this is so good. Um, but I imagine we'll eat insects more openly, for example. I do think that, I think that we definitely um, look at vegetables in a different way. I don't think a vegetable is a side dish anymore. I think, I mean, I make like the, a cauliflower steak. It kind of happened by accident. I love coconut milk. So I just like was thinking, I just want a giant hunk of cauliflower soaked in coconut milk and then charred on the grill. I don't know why just wanted it. So I went in and I blanched just whole heads, cut them into embarrassingly big steaks, and marinated them in coconut milk with like some chili flakes for a day. And then I like, I don't know, we grilled them and we broiled them and we put like some diced up vegetables and vinegar and parsley on top and it was so good. And it just felt so meaty. You know, I've been eating portobello mushrooms lately. Just, I also will get on an ingredient and eat it and cook it and then dump it. Like, you know, like swipe left or right. Just like <laughs> get rid of an ingredient. And then a year later, I'll be like, I forgot all about artichokes. <laughs> forgot it. And the artichokes are like, you sure did. <laughs> so so um, I think vegetable, seriously, vegetables are the new meat for fall. And I bought one of those um, beet, those burgers, like the meat burgers that are made from beets or whatever, that look like hamburger inside. I just bought it today out of fascination, and? but I haven't had it yet. But I think um, I just think we're 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 spinning our plate around more instead of having a giant hunk of steak and the starch and the veg. It's getting spun where maybe the starch isn't there or the steak isn't there. And maybe it's all vegetables. Yeah, I could see that. And then you just eat a giant lobster and you're like, yeah, forget everything. <laughs> it's my journey. It would be nice for the planet. It would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Leave so, the ocean alone for a while? Definitely. Yes. So I have some called smart questions from the audience. These are not my questions, so you can blame them. Okay. <laughs> uh, this one. Do you think it's extremely important to pay for culinary school to become a successful chef? Yeah, I do. <laughs> if you want to be a chef, go to culinary school and get a diploma and do the time. Yeah, start with the fundamentals. Because then you go out and you, um, you have this baseline of information that's really very helpful. Um, and if you don't have the money, I suggest you go work for free a little while in a restaurant to see if you like it, if you want to pursue a career in it, and then go to cooking school. And then that way you can, you have ways of testing whether you should go to culinary school. But I don't, I, I, I don't believe in the work your way up without the degree stuff. I don't, not really. I don't think so. And it's too competitive out there. Yeah. Hi, Holly. Drop that cash. <laughs> you can do work study. There are a lot of ways to fund cooking school if you're smart and imaginative. I got, I did work study in a cooking school, and I so I did a lot of dishes and drank a lot of wine, and I got the degree. Yeah, a lot of wine. Oh. Hi, Alex. Hi. <laughs> What advice would you have for women who are interested in entrepreneurial pursuit? 
What are advice do I have for women interested in enter entrepreneurial pursuits? Yeah. Um, pursue them avidly and ignore everyone. <laughs> Be a tank. Yeah, I would say, I guess it's impossible to uh, skip over the concept of gender in any field. Um, and I think it's certainly become quite an incendiary topic for a lot of different reasons. Um, I, have worked, I worked in a restaurant for six years with 27 men and not one woman. Um, yeah. But I really wanted to learn how to cook and I just went there every day. And the first day I got there, the chef said, I got to the base of the staircase and he said, I don't know what's worse. <laughs> If you're that you're a woman or that you're American, I was like, righty then, I'm killing it. How about this, huh? But I mean, I guess I don't know. Don't I we experience? Yeah. Why don't you? Don't we experience some of that? I mean, what does everybody that you meet want you to achieve your goals? I mean, come on. So I don't know. Just, just do it. Do it and then talk about it later at the bar or at home. Keep the text. No. Um, what is the most extravagant meal you have ever made? And what was your inspiration? Um, the most, I would say the most, I don't know about extravagant, but I had to cook a piece of fish for the president of France. Um, so, and this was in the kitchen with the 27 dudes. Um, and so there was a lot of pressure. He ordered bass. Um, we were waiting to see what he ordered, right? Because if you were working the meat station and he ordered steak, well, then the rest of the kitchen could relax, right? But you, so you didn't really want this dude to order anything off where you were working. <laughs> so you wanted to hide. So he ordered bass, and I'm standing there. And so I take out this piece of bass, and I cook it, and everybody's looking. And I'm basting it and turning it and baste so beautiful and I put it on the plate and it just felt right. So and I sent it out. And that's the thing about cooking is you're done. You send it out. It's not like you make a movie and then you go and look at it. You cook a piece of bass, it goes out. If it's good, the plate's empty and you never see it again. Which is an interesting thing, right? Imagine putting up 300 plates of food and just giving all that and then you go home and it doesn't mean anything, so to speak, the next day. There's nothing lasting except digestion, and you know what happens after digestion. <laughs> um, so I sent the piece of bass out. I was like, I'm the bomb. I'm amazing. You know how that goes, right? Guys, when you do that. So I didn't eat much those days, because eating in a restaurant, I was, it's a restaurant in Paris. Eating in restaurants is a funny thing. Chefs have it. I watched the chef at Butter last night eat a taco that someone made him over the garbage, standing up. So you go home and you eat off a paper plate or whatever you're doing, but chefs nine-tenths of the time are eating standing up at their cutting board and they wing half the food in the garbage anyway because by the time you eat two bites, you're like, I'm so sick of food. So eating is a complicated thing. Um, all this to say, um, I kept a quart of cream in the refrigerator and I would sip it. And that's what I ate. Yeah, it's a good diet. It works, ladies, <laughs> gentlemen. Um, so I went downstairs and I took a slug off the quart of cream, which was lunch. Went back upstairs and everybody in the kitchen was in the middle of the kitchen, gathered around something. When I got upstairs, it parted. You know, like pigeons scatter when you run at them. And in the middle was the plate of bass with one fork full gone from it. You know, I could see where the fork had carved a piece. And in the middle of the bass was one of my hairs wrapped around and around and around the fish. Because remember I said I was basting it and turning it? Well, I was wrapping a hair around the bass. Oh yeah, this is not an exaggeration, one bit. Um, so I grabbed another piece, power cooked it, and sent it out, um, and was just horrified for like a week. I don't think anybody spoke to me for like two days. No one really knew what to do. <laughs> no one really knew what, you know, like, no one spoke to me. Um, I don't know if that would happen in an office, 
right? But that's what happens in a kitchen or in some place where you're, you know, no one looked at me. It was like, oh, there she is. Oh my God, she did it. And there was no way around it. Like, oh, it was his hair. <laughs> it was really much, even much longer than it is now. And it was long and it was brunette, you know, and all the redheads and blonde dudes were like, <laughs> she's like a guy with a shaved, you know, head. He's like, you know, we like to see other people crash and burn. Um, so extravagant, I don't know, but memorable, sadistic. It's like a black swan moment. Like I watch Darren Aronofsky movies and I'm like, you need to make, you needed to not make that movie Mother. You need to make a movie called Chef. <laughs> what is your guilty pleasure? Um, stuff I ate as a kid, definitely. Um, Pepperidge Farm Tahiti cookies. You know the coconut ones? Um, I worked with a personal trainer and he was like, so like, what can we do to get you to eat less and like less calories every day? And I'm like, well, I get these Tahiti cookies sometimes. And that, and the package is like 12, uh, 1,170 calories. Yeah, I do the math on the whole package when I buy something, people. I don't go, okay, two servings is six crackers. I want to know the full thing. And then I'll back my way to my own idea of a portion. Um, so he was like, whenever you go to the supermarket and you stand in front of the cookies, like, call me and I'll tell you that you're not alone. <laughs> Do you believe that? You know what? I did it. But then I bought the cookies. It's like, thanks for taking my call. I'm buying the cookies now. Those cookies are a real trigger food for me. And I go to check on them whenever I go to the supermarket. I'm not embarrassed to admit this to you. I do. I go and I'm like, the cookies are there. We're good. We're good, boo boo. Um, and I like, um, I, I, I like um, kettle chips, barbecue kettle chips a lot. I like anything that leaves a, an, a radioactive film <laughs> on your fingers that, that you then, like a, like, a, like a woodchuck, you just lick it off and bite the radioactive stuff off. Yeah, I like processed food sometimes. But other than that, not, not that much bad stuff. I do like In-N-Out Burger a lot. In, when I go to California, I always go to In-N-Out. And they're like, we love you on the Food Network. And I'm like, that, it's not me. <laughs> I, people say I look like her all the time. Give me my burger now. They're good. I pay cash. They don't have any proof that I was there. They're so good. So, you have 50 minutes to cook and 5 minutes to eat. What do you make? 50 or 15? 15. 15. Half or chop. 15 minutes to cook. How, who's, who wrote, who wrote that? <laughs> 15 minutes to cook and five. I mean, I don't know. Leftovers. I, I, I don't know. I would make a really good sandwich. I would cook bacon and make a bacon, mayonnaise, and tomato sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> because you can make toast, cook the bacon, slice the tomato. You could do a few things at once and not make a lot of dishes. So that's a, a really big sandwich. Too big to eat without either scrunching it down or sort of being embarrassed or being alone. <laughs> I should call my trainer, right? I'm not alone. Hey, I'm about to eat a sandwich. I just want to know that you're out there for me. I saw you on Seth Meyers. You were awesome. Oh, I, so I was on Seth Meyers and he wanted me to make a hamburger, so I made a burger. And I mean, this guy, he came out, he came to the dressing room when I was getting my makeup done. And he was like, I'm so excited about this burger. It's crazy. My wife has me on this diet. She won't let me eat anything. I'm so hungry. I was like, okay, okay. We go out there, I make the burger. He's like, I want the burger now. He's awesome. I love him. So, I, I, I mean, he literally, he like, or down on this thing. Like he like did the burger savage hunch. You were holding the tie. No, and he goes, hold my tie. He leaned over and his tie kind of like dipped in for like the big connect with the cheese ketchup thing. And he was like, hold my tie. 
So I'm sitting there like holding his time, took this huge bite, and he was so happy. So the segment ended, credits, wave, whatever, and he's there eating this, clutching this hamburger like it's a, like he's a, you know, it's like his firstborn baby on a lifeboat in the ocean. This guy wasn't letting go of his burger for anything. That kind of passion is awesome. It's really fun. He hasn't had me back. He's wife. He's dieting. Not him, he's wife. Um, how do you compliment a chef or how do you offend a chef? If you want to offend a chef, just do anything. <laughs> I'm very sensitive. Um, if, how do you compliment a chef? You say, this is delicious. This is amazing. Um, I, I don't, I, I, you did, your restaurant um, is awesome. <laughs> I like your shirt. Where'd you get those shoes? You know, I like your new girlfriend. I like the old one. Um, I don't know. You, chefs are sensitive and strange, as you see. Um, I don't know. Say anything you would say to anybody. It would pretty much work. I like to go to my chef who runs the kitchen, and I go up to him and I say, no one ever tells the chef they're doing a great job. You did a great job today. And every time I do that, he's like, I really, I never get sick of hearing that. So, I don't know, you never tell your boss they're doing a good job. You don't. The boss tells everyone, and everybody hates the boss. And the boss goes home and is like, wah, wah, with a bag of Tahiti cookies. So, huddle up, people. Go to your boss and be like, you're not alone. Have a sandwich. You did a great job today. I bet you get a raise sometime in the next five years. Last question. Because this is, I'm bored of myself. Are you guys still interested? I'm so sick of myself. Okay, that's sweet. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> I have to ask. It's here. <laughs> Best restaurant in the world, favorite food city. The best I don't know what the best, I have no idea what the best restaurant in the world is. My favorite restaurant in New York City has been the same for 12 years. It's um, the Jean George in the Trump International Hotel. <laughs> Relax, I feel you. Um, I think that it's the most exciting place to eat always. Um, yeah, he just opened it in Palm Ridge, and it's so good. He's the he's the best. <laughs> he's just after you. No, he is in a John George von der Richten is in a class by himself. Um, and then what was the other best food city? I don't know, I'm gonna pick Charleston, South Carolina, because maybe some of you haven't been. Um, there are a lot of chefs doing a lot of great things there, and not only do they have a lot of great restaurants, and a lot of them are very affordable, but they're also cultivating a lot of American ingredients, and I really am into that. There is amazing grits, amazing shrimp, but it's also a port city, so you find this wackadoodle stuff that, that came off the boats. So you find like pineapple and coconut desserts, and you're like, this isn't growing here. Why is this part of the culture? So I like that. Um, there's also a few chefs that are, you know, they're making their own olive oil, they're growing their own wheat, they're into it, um, and they're, they're doing it. They're growing the products, they're cooking them, and they're sharing. And when you eat a really tasty plate of food like that, from those ingredients, that's what a chef, I think that's what a chef's supposed to do, share that stuff. So I picked Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah, definitely. Big time. Awesome. And it's not that hard to get to. And it's charming. And people are really nice. People say hello, and I'm like, why? <laughs> it takes me like two days to just be like, oh, hi. First day, I'm like, hey, what do you want? Like money? You're going to mug me? What is it? But by day three, I'm like, hello. And then I come back here, and I'm like, hello. And then I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Cut that out. That was great. Thank you, guys. Thank you. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor-distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor-distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. 
Choose Smart Water or Smart Water Sparkling today and at your local retailer. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired.